As a Disney Resort guest, transportation to and from the Disney Fun is complimentary day and night. Check your transportation guide for information and remember to allow enough time to get where you're going. Tomorrowland News Network's Corona Borealis with your local time and weather. As always, it's going to be a great big beautiful tomorrow. And at the tone, the time will be now. Please use the self-service elevators for your trip to the Rocket Jet Flight Deck. W-W-Radio, your information station. Hello, my friend, and welcome to the WW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangello, and this is show number 621. And together, this and every week, we celebrate the magic of the Disney parks, movies, and more as I take you from the parks to the screens and everything in between on the podcast, my weekly live video on Facebook every Wednesday night, community, books, audio tours, blog, and more. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and find everything else at www.radio.com. So this week, we're going to explore some of the practical magic in Walt Disney World as we look at the secrets and illusions of Magic Kingdom. We're going to virtually visit the park, land by land, and look at some of our favorites and most amazing illusions and effects in the park that will help you enhance your enjoyment and appreciation next time you visit. I'll then have the answer to our last Walt Disney World trivia question of the week, and I'll pose a new challenge for your chance to win a Disney prize package. Then stay tuned to the end of the show for information, updates, our next event. Yes, it's coming. Your voicemails and more. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WW Radio Show. We use the word magic a lot when we describe Disney and the Disney parks. And I've always believed that while that term is appropriate, there is definitely more magic than meets the eye. Uh, I think that the true magic is in and comes from the cast members, but there's also some practical magic as well. And I don't want to spoil the magic for you, but I do believe in helping you to understand and appreciate it even more. And by doing so, you don't necessarily share all of the secrets. Like, I am not the guy that watches a magician do a trick and then tries to tell you how it's done or spoil it for you or for him or her. But I think by doing so, it I hope to en- enhance your enjoyment and your uh, appreciation. And really, I want you to think and, and seek out some of those opportunities to learn more when you're in the Disney theme parks. And so this week, we're going to begin at the start or start at the beginning. We're going to begin where it all began and look at the secrets and illusions of Magic Kingdom in Walt Disney World. Insert 
spooky music here. And joining me this week is a fellow enthusiast, a fellow geek, I use that term affectionately, who loves and appreciates all things Disney and also seeks to share, explore, and celebrate the magic. He is Matthew Kroll from the Imagineering Podcast. Matthew, welcome. Thank you so much, Lou. Thanks for inviting me onto the show. I've been, as I mentioned, a listener of your podcast for 10 plus years. So it is a, a real honor to be on this side of the mic. No, this is great, man. And you, uh, you were kind enough to invite me on one of your shows recently. If I was better prepared, I would know exactly what date and number it was. <laughs> but um, so what show was it? And what show was the number for you? Uh, it was episode, you know, I actually forgot the number as well, but it was back on January 2nd of this year. It was 95, 96, somewhere around there. I think it was 95. Uh, but yeah, you, we, I, of course, after hosting this show, uh, after doing Imagineer podcast for a few years, I thought, let me invite my favorite podcaster onto the podcast. And we talked about, of course, food at Walt Disney World. So much like any other of your food episodes. I, I advise the listeners, if you go back and listen, not to listen hungry, because I know I was famished at the end of that conversation, but it was a, a real, real great pleasure to have you on the, have you on my podcast. No, it's a lot of fun and I'm happy we're, we're, we're able to do this. And, and I thought this was a great one for us to do together because you are not just a, not just, you are not just a, a fellow enthusiast. And, and I use the term nerd or geek interchangeably and affectionately, but you also, you know, you're a former cast member and you worked not just at Disney Store, but you worked at Kilimanjaro. You did um, you did the, the college program and then you also interned at Vacation Club for a number of years, right? Yeah, I've worked behind the gates a couple of times. I did do the Disney College program. I, To your point, I started out at the Disney Store. Ironically, that was back when it was owned by the Children's Place. So I was not technically a cast member of the Walt Disney Company, but I still was called a cast member working at the Disney Store. So it was a weird sort of opportunity there, but a lot of fun. And of course, that helped me get into the Disney College program where I did Kilimanjaro Safari is probably the, I, in my opinion, the best attraction to work at at Walt Disney World. And then went back and did a professional internship at Disney Vacation Club, working on their marketing strategy team. I went to school for marketing. And so it was a great way to learn the magic. And you talked in your intro about how the more you learn about the magic, sometimes the more you appreciate it. And it was always that case for me. I was always so in, interested in how Disney makes those illusions come to life. And the more I learn about it, even to this day, the more I appreciate what Disney does to immerse us in these worlds. So as a former cast member and as a Disney geek, I, I find that term to be very endearing. It is a, a, a lifelong passion to learn how Disney does what they do. Right, excuse me, that's what I mean. I mean, we, we both, I think, share this fascination, excuse me, about how, you know, for lack of a better word, to put it in food terms, how the sausage is made. Yes. And it's not meant to spoil it but it does very much i think enhance our appreciation when we understand just what goes into sometimes the the, the simple or the more complex technology and the usage of it into what we're seeing and i and i think about this when i talk uh, when we look at things like the the backstage tours you know keys to the kingdom backstage magic it those are things that are that i think are designed to make you want to learn even more look that's you know that that desire is for me what got me started down this journey i i know as a kid coming to walt disney world in the 70s don't do the math i literally <laughs> bought 
every book I could get my hands on, which at the time was not a lot. I talk a lot about that big, square, very thin black book sort of shaped in the in the, the D form that I read, you know, until I basically wore out the pages. Yes, this was a time before there was an internet, believe it or not. Um, but I did, and, and I wanted to learn, and, and that's sort of what got me going down this rabbit hole. And that book really was just about the resort itself at the time, which was Magic Kingdom. And I think that's why it's such a, a, the perfect place for us to start, because not only is there a lot here, and once again, we're going to try and make this not a four-hour show, <laughs> but I think there's also so many, uh, and I use air quotes as if you could see me, illusions here um, that not only came over from Disneyland, but they are illusions that would be reutilized, repurposed, and sometimes even approved upon elsewhere in Walt Disney World. And there are a lot. I think that there's going to be a lot here. And, and we didn't even talk about our list beforehand, but I thought we would do is go land by land and attraction by attraction and, and virtually visit Magic Kingdom and look at some of our favorite and most amazing illusions and effects in the park. And Matthew, because you are my guest and I'm going to be fascinated to hear where you go first, uh, I would love for you to take uh, the first one. And again, let's sort of just start, you know, right down the middle of Main Street USA. I have, I, I think Main Street USA is in itself one grand illusion and i know that lou you've done your tours of the, the whole magic kingdom and main street usa in particular and you know that there's so much that that goes into this land i i'm gonna start with one that technically is involved with the park overall but that is something you can find on main street usa and that's the illusion this is a little bit of a go with me but the illusion of disappearing garbage <laughs> because when you visit the Magic Kingdom, you'll smell a lot of things. There's a lot of pleasant smells throughout the park. But one thing you will not smell, at least not often, is garbage. And that, of course, is by design. You won't find a single dumpster. You will not hear a dump truck backstage just behind a wall. And that's thanks to Walt and Admiral Joe Fowler, who helped to develop the Utilidors, which is another illusion I have on my list. But the... AVAC system that was developed for the Magic Kingdom, which literally shoots garbage under the park at the speed of a moving car away from guests, out of guest sight, and more importantly, out of guest smell, and helps to really leave your worries of the real world behind. That's something you might think about in the real world, especially as you're walking down a real main street in the USA somewhere, especially where I am in New York, you'll smell garbage routinely on the street never on Main Street USA. And so although that's not a traditional quote unquote illusion we would think of with imagineering, creating something that we see that's not really what we're, you know, not, you know, works in a different way. It's not really what we're looking at exactly kind of like a magic trick. To me, just the effort to create an illusion within the park operations of custodial and garbage disposal and removal is brilliant so for me this was one that i had to just throw out there not just for main street but for all of the park um vanishing garbage around around the magic kingdom <laughs> <laughs> I, excuse me, I laughed because i was and it's clearly not where i expected you to go first but i think <laughs> but i think it's great because it's one of those things that look 99.9 percent .9 of guests 
are not thinking about garbage, even though it is hiding in plain sight. And we've talked in the past about even just the fact that there are so many garbage cans everywhere. We talked about Walt, you know, sort of doing this very unscientific test and deciding that, you know, 29 steps was the most that somebody would walk with with a piece of garbage in their hand before they let it fall to the ground. And that's why you'll see garbage cans specifically no more than, than approximately that far from each other. But we don't realize that we don't see what we don't see. We don't see these large gray, loud, smelly, you know, collection bins sort of being wheeled around the Magic Kingdom because there would be a ton of them and they would be everywhere um, and very, very intrusive into the illusion. And, and you mentioned the the AVAC system, that automated vacuum waste collection system, which I believe was was developed like in Sweden or something. And then they brought it, it here um, yeah. in, into Magic Kingdom. And if you've ever done, we'll, like you said, we'll talk about the Util Doors and, and the, the one of the underground tours, it's this maze of, of pipes of, of different uh, diameters. And the fact that garbage is, is, you know, being sort of sucked out of these collection points every 15 minutes and being shot, like you said, 60 miles an hour like a car is incredible. It's a simple technology, but it is incredible as you start to think about it. And really, I think the only other system like that in the park is there's a, there's a smaller version under um, Spaceship Earth in Epcot. Yes. Um, is really, so they have, they have like their own sort of mini Utilidor system there. Yeah, I wanted to, I promise the next one will be a little more traditional in terms of illusions, but it was one that I thought of as, you know, it's it's uh, like, what what do you see or not see? And that was one that I thought you never really see, except for the garbage bins themselves and custodial taking them backstage. You don't really see large collections of garbage. And it was something to, that I always appreciate about the park. Well, and even the garbage cans themselves are, you know, they're all themed appropriately they're not intrusive so you know and i'm sure there's probably 50 different blogs out there highlighting and (laughs) and focusing on the garbage cans of walt disney look they're so pretty how pretty are they they're so pretty they've literally made christmas ornaments salt and pepper shakers out of them um so the the garbage system is is you don't think about it but it's actually uh it's actually fascinating uh, I actually thought that you were going to – I'm like, he's going to go big picture, right? He's going he's gonna to take the easy one and go big picture and let us sort of deep dive right in right off the bat. So I will uh, I will introduce us into the concept of forced perspective, which yeah. years ago was this thing that was not necessarily well known but really has almost come into – the day-to-day vernacular of every, you know, sort of quote-unquote hardcore Disney fan. We sort of know what it is and we start to look forward, look, look for it um, throughout the parks. And, and basically, and uh, again, you, the listener, I'm sure, understands this, but the idea in its most simplified, tell me like I'm a two-year-old terms, is that the use of scale on structures is altered in such a way that things appear larger than they really are. And Main Street is a great example of that because the buildings get smaller as they get taller, meaning that the second story is smaller than the first and the third is smaller than the second. So, for example, on Main Street, the first story is about 12 feet high. The second, I believe, is about 10 and the third is 
eight. So the first floor really is the only one that's built to scale. But if you were to say, you know, I'd like to sit on that lovely little wrought iron porch on top of the jewelry shop, you would, well, I mean, it would be appropriate size for me, but a normal human <laughs> being, it would look like a, a, you know, a prop shot because that little, uh, that little wrought iron bench is actually so very small. And what it does is it, it serves a number of different purposes, not just on the buildings on Main Street, but even things like the castle itself. It makes Cinderella Castle look larger than it really is. And that visual weenie even becomes more attractive because it is it is this thing that that is drawing you in farther as you walk down the street but it, it's it's interesting too especially if you take sort of main street it, it, you know and compartmentalize it the use of force perspective on main street is, is utilized in a number of different ways not just on the individual building facades as you walk right down the middle of main street usa but not every building on main street actually uses force perspective and and some buildings don't use it for a number of different reasons. And the two that I'm thinking of most is the Walt Disney World Railroad Station and the Main Street Exposition Hall or the Town Square Theater. That building is built full height, not because anybody actually lives upstairs in that grand hotel or, or for any other reason like that, but due in part to help hide the contemporary resort, which is behind it, because again, as you walk through that portal, that illusion of going back in time needs to sort of surround you in all five senses and 360 degrees. And if one of the first things you see is this very modern A-frame building off in the distance, it will break that illusion. But I think, Matthew, one of the interesting things is the utilization of forced perspective on a grand scale for Main Street, meaning that when you walk into Main Street, because Cinderella Castle, one, uses forced perspective, and two, because Main Street USA, I'm sort of getting, I'm, I'm going to combine two into one here, but because Main Street USA is actually on a bit of an angle, um, there's actually a slight slope upwards on Main Street USA, it actually looks taller and farther away in the distance. So you have this long street and this castle sort of beckoning you in the distance, but what happens is, as you turn it around, um, and and what I'm saying is, as you sort of leave Magic Kingdom from the castle or from the hub, and as you're looking literally down the street and down that slight slope, you see the full scale train station in the distance that one blocks your view of anything behind it, but two, it actually makes it looked like it's going to be a shorter walk at the end of the day. So you're not like, I please, we don't have time to go shopping. Look how far we have to walk. It, it's this wonderful, simple, zero technology optical illusion that works brilliantly. Not only was this on my list and where I would have gone to next, although I do have another, uh, clearly a few more to talk about with Main Street, but you also mentioned all the secondary points that I had as well about the train station and the the town hall, ex, town square exhibition hall, and the fact that they designed that slope that you talk about that does make the park look uh, or the exit look a little bit shorter as you're walking out, but it also in the morning, especially if 
your first day on the on a trip is often the Magic Kingdom. If you're if you're going down to Walt Disney World, although you might switch it up, traditionally the first place you would go would be Magic Kingdom. So you're full of energy. You just are ready to almost run your way down Main Street USA towards the castle. And Disney knows that you're going to be able to easily go up that slope. And it's it's a very gradual slope, but you're going to be able to make it up there. And your point does make look make the castle look taller, a little bit farther away, creates this grand illusion of the size of Main Street USA. And then as you're going back, the nice part about it is that you've probably been running around or walking quickly. You don't want to run, but walking quickly around the park from place to place. So you're now tired at the end of the day. And so that slope does make it look and the size of the train station does make it look shorter to your point and also kind of helps your legs to and especially if you're pulling a stroller, get a little <laughs> bit of an extra push down Main Street USA. To your point about the contemporary, I always thought when I was younger that and, and up until the point I was an adult, actually, that it was weird that in a lot of spots you can see the contemporary. And I realized that over time, the only place you can really see it well is parts of Tomorrowland. And that is or at the hub looking at Tomorrowland. And that was intentional because the contemporary is sort of meant to be this extension of Tomorrowland in some ways with the monorail going through it. And so that is almost the exception to the rule that with Tomorrowland, it sort of sets an extra backdrop um, for this futuristic city to have the contemporary outside. But yeah, you don't want to see that on Main Street. It's not a uh, not a good mix of themes in, in, in an area that's meant to replicate early 20th century America. Yeah, and I think this is a great example of one of the the many ways <clears throat> some of these high, low, or, or no tech, you know, we'll use the word illusions interchangeably, affects our subconscious perception. And and if you think about it this way, part of the reason why it, it's used on Main Street is because one, <clears throat> look, Disney wanted to create a very pedestrian friendly, <clears throat> sorry environment that is very um, comfortable it's it's a place that you are meant to not just rush from one end to the other they they you were invited in to sort of meander and wander and stroll and by having these buildings really be a little bit smaller than they really are i think that there is this this subconscious perception that we as as the pedestrians walking through are almost a little bit, you know, it's almost like we're walking through a a, a slightly miniature village. Um, that there is this almost feeling of of being bigger than we we really are, um, almost like a, a large scale sort of dollhouse. Uh, but I think it gives children uh, a, a different perception of it as well, because as you, the next time you walk down, I do want you to. Literally, I want you to sort of stop in the middle of Main Street USA, especially where the intersection of East Center Street and where West Center Street used to be, and look around on those second and third stories. And if you look at the details, you'll see that the that the, the wrought iron railing, the, the flower pots, everything is scaled down just a little bit more. <clears throat> Even the, the lamps in some of the windows, um, which... Again, you you might not understand why until you realize it. And then as you look around Main Street as a whole, it starts to feel a little bit different once you sort of, again, pull back the curtain and understand what is done and the reasoning behind it. Yeah, I appreciate all those little details. I think it's something that subconsciously the Imagineers know you might not 
consciously think about, but it helps to convey this story. And I think a lot of the illusions that we'll talk about are things that when you don't think about them, they just sort of make sense as, as you're going through the park. And that is something I always appreciated. And to our point earlier, why I always wanted to learn more is because of the fact that everything is created in such an intentional way that even to subconscious cues, your brain is sort of trained to think that this is real and this is this is an authentic experience. And it's those little extra details that make Disney go the extra mile and what really sets Disney apart from other places you might go. Do you have anything else on Main Street specifically? I do. Uh, I'll, I'll give I'll give one main one and then and, and a sort of secondary point. Um, actually, maybe I'll start with that secondary point. You talk about the the ease of walking down Main Street. And one of the things that I always uh, appreciated, and it's not so much, again, it's more of a, a courtesy, um, is the, the red carpet treatment you get going around going down main street usa where the street itself is is this more gray traditional street color but then the sidewalks are a red color and part of that's that quote-unquote red carpet treatment but the other part of it is to help in case you don't your it helps in your peripheral vision to see the change in grade between the street level and the sidewalk level so that people are less likely to trip whereas if it was one gray color you'd see a lot more people tripping on the curb so that's one of those things that you know, talking about ease of walking down Main Street USA, I appreciate it. The illusion I'm going to go with, though, is the illusion of the American flags. And as you're walking down Main Street, you'll notice that there are what appear to be about 50 American flags on the tops of the buildings on your left and on your right as you're, as you're walking down the street. And then, of course, we have the one giant American flag in the middle of town square. And the illusion itself is that while those appear to be real U.S. flags, the only real one is the one that's in town square. The ones that are on top of the buildings are actually lightning rods. And the flags that are adorned on top of, of those lightning rods are either missing a star or a stripe. They're slightly altered to be more inspired by the U.S. flag than actually the U.S. flag itself. And that was intentional, one, to create because it is the lightning capital of the world to create a, a safe environment to walk down Main Street USA, but to not have these weird lightning rods that you would not have seen in the 20th century in, in Marceline, Missouri, um, to, to, make, to make it seem like there's a purpose to them. And uh, also because Disney does like to follow the traditions and customs with the U.S. flag. And so that's why they have the flag retreat ceremony uh, in the evening at Town Square. And you could only imagine if they had to do that flag retreat ceremony for 50 flags around Main Street USA, you'd have all these cast members on tops of the roofs. That also would destroy the illusion of forced perspective. They're so there's giants. Many reason. <laughs> giants. Giants on the roofs. So that all that's many reasons why. And it's, again, something that most people wouldn't think about. But um, I always appreciate knowing that uh, Disney one creates a very safe environment with lightning rides in Florida. And two, they don't just have lightning rods sticking out on top of the, on top of the roofs, but that they sort of disguise them as these quasi uh, close to real uh, United States flag. So it's, it's a detail I always appreciate. I, I agree. And I, and I love it as much as I love it, <clears throat> excuse me, from the safety perspective, I, I very much, <clears throat> Excuse me. I very much appreciate it from a a tradition perspective. <clears throat> Sorry, I apologize. Because otherwise, 
if they were flags, um, they would need to be lit at night or taken down every single day. And you mentioned the flag retreat ceremony, which takes place every single day, even during pandemic. They were still um, cast members and, and members of Disney security. And, and, you know, they'd have military people come in to do it. It's a very beautiful and <clears throat> respectful ceremony that takes place and you know walt himself was very patriotic um, there's a quote about he said if you could you know see in the whites of my eyes the american flag is waving and, and up and down my spine is red white and blue so uh, i i love the fact that they do this in, in such a respectful uh and and correct manner uh, the place that I thought you were going, and I was going to get really excited because it was going to sort of lead us into my favorite topic, which, as you know, is food, mm-hmm. is I mentioned earlier <clears throat> that Walt Disney World is is very deliberately meant to be enjoyed using all five senses and 360 degrees. And we know about what we see and the sounds of the horses and the background music and obviously some of the things that we taste. But our sense of smell, our olfactory senses are the ones that are most closely tied with memory. And what we smell, especially in places like Magic Kingdom, I think very much helped to not only make us hungry, but to set the stage. And as you walk by places like the confectionery or you walk by the bakery, the smells that seem to permeate and waft out of these doorways is remarkable. And spoiler alert, it not necessarily is always the uh, the genuine smell of the items being baked inside because in order to help those smells be prevalent, not just inside the stores, but sort of make their way onto the street, um, they are artificially created and they're actually pumped out onto the streets using something called a smellitzer and i've seen this referred to as a smellitizer but my understanding is it is a smellitzer much like like a howitzer like the gun and this is something that was uh, created and patented by imagineer bob mccarthy and what it allows disney to do is take these sweets or savory or in places like Journey to Imagination, these skunk-like smells and push them very, very deliberately in exactly the proportions that they want and where they want to allow you, especially in a place like Main Street USA, uh, Matthew, I think it, it helps to complete the illusion of being transported back into time. It gives us a feeling when we smell a, a cinnamon roll, when we smell candy, when we smell something baking and this was actually created originally i think really the first time it was used was at universe of energy may you rest in peace um for the smell of volcanoes and then obviously brought into things like um you know we know about the smell of of rome burning but when you smell candy when you smell vanilla when you smell cinnamon when you smell all of these flavors there is something that makes you sort of subconsciously go yeah, yeah, of course we need ice cream at 8.30 in the morning. Why wouldn't we start <laughs> off our, our day like that? Um, so I think I think the smell it serves is um, it's a fascinating use of technology in a way that, that I think a lot of people or places don't think about because you can't you can't see it and you can't touch it. It was definitely on my list and not even just on Main Street USA. But to your point, it's everywhere around the parks the resorts and 
it's something that I know you've had the the episode about the the best sense at Walt Disney World. I, of course, I have talked about that subject as well. A spoiler alert, we do have an upcoming podcast episode about that very subject as well that incorporates Walt Disney World, Disneyland, and even Disney Cruise Line. And there are, I, I do appreciate that walking down Main Street USA. The first thing you smell right away is that smell of popcorn from those popcorn carts on the uh, either side of, of the street, uh, depending on which tunnel you enter. And then you smell, to your point, the candy uh, over at the, uh, the candy store. And then as you continue down Main Street USA, you get that smell of vanilla towards uh, as you pass by the bakery or the waffle cones over by the Main Street, uh, or I should say the Plaza Ice Cream Parlor. And then, of course, in every attraction, it's one of my favorite things about Disney is the smell. So, of course, that was on my list as well. And it's funny, as I was doing this, I remembered back, especially as a kid growing up, um, there were attempts to try and bring, like, smell-o-vision. You know, there was sense around and smell-o-vision. They they were always trying, and this actually even goes back years before that, they always tried to integrate this into places like movie theaters or even performance theaters. But the problem was that once a smell was pumped into, you know, the, this black box, there was no way to move it in to get it out. And they would sort of hang out there, it would linger there. And eventually, if you brought in another smell, there would be this awful cacophony of, of sometimes very disparate smells. But here, it, it's different because we as guests... We're being moved through it. We're walking through it. We're, we're being taken through it on our ride vehicle. So it works very well. And there is this seamless blending and, and transition from not smelling anything into the next thing. And I think, and I do, as, as much as, you know, some visual weenies sort of bring us or, or lead us from one place to another, I think these, these olfactory. Uh, sensations certainly do as well. I agree. All right. So, what is next on your list? Are we staying on Main Street, or are we, uh, or we're going to make a hard left to Adventureland? Let's let's. I'm sure we could devote an entire episode to Main Street USA. So let's make that hard left into Adventureland. And the <sighs> so I, I was debating whether or not to bring this this particular illusion up, but I think. Just because I'm at the the transition point of the conversation, I will bring up the actual transition point into Adventureland. And there's two, there's sort of two uh, senses that are, in addition to smell and anything else you might feel, two particular senses that were designed to really transition you into a new land. And especially in going from Main Street USA to Adventureland, there are two things I really appreciate in terms of illusions. And one is the sound of drums as you're passing into Adventureland. It's something that whether or not you consider it to be a formal illusion magic trick, it is one of those park weenies that's meant to bring you over to this land and and help you to get the smooth transition, which the Imagineers did consciously think about, especially with the Magic Kingdom, but with other parks, to not have this stark contrast from one land to the next, where you're like, I'm in Main Street USA, and all of a sudden, I'm in an Adventureland. But to, to transition you over there, you do have that that sound of tribal drums as you sort of leave the sounds of, of Main Street USA behind. And the other one point that was meant to be a real transition point between the two of them was the Crystal Palace. And the Crystal Palace is intentionally designed to be 
a Victorian style. And it's based off of a uh, San Francisco conservatory, but it, it the style of architecture, something you would find both in turn of the century America, as well as in some of the jungles in Africa and Asia, it has this English, almost imperial influence. And not only the architecture transitions you, but in particular, the le- if you really pay close attention, the left side, the Main Street side of Crystal Palace looks different than the right. And not a lot of people think about it, that of this asymmetry. But the left side or the Main Street side is more open. It, there's this there's this porch that you can that is usually where you wait to, to get a table at Crystal Palace and the grand open windows. But on the Adventureland side, they have these awnings covering the windows. There's a lot more lush vegetation. And that is intentional because if you were to have the giant glass conservatory in the, in the jungles of Africa or Asia, the hot sunlight would require that you have awnings. Otherwise, it would become a, a hot box inside this glass building. So the, the, the sort of transition point itself to me has always from one land to another has always been a grand illusion to make it again sub- subconscious cues to transition you from one land to the, one land to the next, and uh, have you mentioned the keys to the kingdom tour? This is one of the things I learned that the cast member stopped, or tour guide stopped, and pointed out the Crystal Palace to us, and, and told us about the difference between those two parts of uh, of the building, and it's something in, in, that I appreciated, and it's true for a transition to every single land. There's always a a visual cue, a sound cue, could be a, a smell cue. Um, at Magic Kingdom and beyond. And I've always really appreciated that Adventureland transition. It's where my family tended to always go first on our trips to Magic Kingdom. See, I knew we were friends uh, because (laughs) I agree with you. And this is one of the places that I love to bring people and stop because it's such a perfect representation of the transition that takes place in a number of different ways. And again, you mentioned sort of the canopies and you have that sort of delicate lattice work um, of Crystal Palace sort of transitioning to those um, to those awnings. And in the background, we hear those subtle musical transitions from the ragtime to these percussive beats and, and these sort of tribal drums in the background. And it is this portal, much like the train station is a portal, and so many other locations are, are portals from one place to the next, <clears throat> but this one happens out in the open. There is no sort of visual, necessarily, canopy that you walk through um, in order to make that happen, and that's why I think it's one of the most <clears throat> excuse me, brilliant examples of it um, anywhere. Uh, and it actually, it, this actually might be a good transition point to what I'm going to reference in terms of one of, I think, the best illusioneering tricks and tactics that Disney uses. And not to borrow a a term from someone else, but I will make this a little bit of a go with me here. Because when I say this word, you're going to go, what? The trees. And when I say the trees, I mean as as an overarching, the, the horticulture of Magic Kingdom is not just there to make it look pretty, but it also serves a number of different purposes as well. So on a on a on a thirty thousand foot view, when 
they were planning Magic Kingdom in Disneyland and certainly carrying over here to Magic Kingdom in, in Walt Disney World. Walt and the Imagineers wanted to make sure, as we mentioned earlier, that when you were in a specific land, you were very much locked into a specific time and place. If you saw the contemporary <clears throat> from Main Street, it would ruin that illusion. If you go into Adventureland and can see or hear something from Liberty Square, it would take you out of that time and place. So trees and fl- plants and flowers are, on, on one hand, very much used to provide almost these these organic scrims that will block you from looking to other close in addition to being very pretty and giving us in Florida some much needed <laughs> shade and scenery but they also in addition to um helping to set the stage they set the scene too meaning that the trees and the horticulture plays i think a very distinct role in that the trees that you see and the the, the plants and flowers that you see on Main Street, in the hub, in Adventureland, are going to be very different than the ones that you see in Frontierland or Fantasyland or specifically Tomorrowland because they have to represent the area that they are. So the next time you are making this walk from Main Street to Adventureland, notice that you'll see that the type, the density even, of the horticulture changes. Adventureland is very lush. It's very overgrown, whereas you go into Liberty Square, this town which is just very much in its infancy, and there, the trees and the plants and the flowers are much more delicate. They're much more scaled back. Frontierland, they're a little bit wilder. Um, I, I am not a horticulture guy, so I'm not going to say, well, this is the type of tree that's used here because I'm not. But you can see some of the, the different types of trees that are used elsewhere. And look, even in Tomorrowland, the trees are metal. You know, they're yep. not even, there's a lot of, of inorganic trees as well. The, the the oak tree in Liberty Square is a character in that land. Um, the trees on Tom Sawyer, Tom Sawyer Island are very different than the ones that you'll find in the Jungle Cruise. And I give, you know, credit needs to be given obviously to the entire team, but it really goes back to Morgan Bill Evans, um, who uh, did the landscaping in Disneyland and was called on to do it again in Walt Disney World. And, and I will I will do, I, a, as part of my Legend of Disney Imagineering series, a, a, a show completely about Bill Evans, because I think the man was brilliant and talking about making lemonades from lemons and being able to utilize things in a way that is not necessarily tradition. Look, there's a story about how on the Jungle Cruise, there are these trees that people wouldn't recognize because he planted them upside down because he had to sort of create these very gnarly, strange-looking, exotic plants that they just not have access to. And that took place a number of uh, different times and he, he's done it obviously in Disneyland and he did it in, in Walt Disney World. Uh, he worked at, I know um, he was, he did Polynesian and uh, the studios and Typhoon Lagoon, like a number of different places you'll find sort of, of Bill's influence. And so when you're on something like the Jungle Cruise, we remember that we are in, you know, hot and, and, you know, 
sweaty Florida, but you feel like you're in hot, sweaty Africa and Asia and Amazon because he was able to recreate the this feeling of being in these rainforests and jungles using plants and trees from all around the world, sometimes in very creative ways. I I love that you gave that answer and you must be looking ahead at my list because you again queued me up or teed me up perfectly for the next thing that I had, which does involve trees and not just the the design of the the vegetation, the actual horticulture at the parks, but in particular in Adventureland, there's one tree that stands out and yet a tree that blends in very well. And that's of course the Swiss family Robinson Treehouse which blends in so well that I think a lot of guests, just a lot of first-time guests who are rushing to Pirates of the Caribbean or to Jungle Cruise don't even realize is an attraction. And although it does appear to be the, the treehouse of my childhood dreams, I would have loved to have a, a treehouse like that. It, of course, is, is not a real tree, um, you know, not real in the sense that it, it was grown there, but real in the sense that it, it was constructed and it, it was a, you know, it's made of concrete and steel and stucco. And even those leaves, just to think about the amount of effort that it took to individually construct, I think it's 330,000 leaves on the Swiss Family Robinson Treehouse, the, the length that Disney goes to, to Again, not just with the horticulture, with with the, the design of, of, of real trees at the park, but then to construct a giant tree house and thus a giant tree in the middle of Adventureland and still have it seamlessly blend in. You can honestly pass right by it and have a complete belief that this was a real tree that grew in Florida and Disney just built a tree house around it. Yeah, so I had this almost. Uh, it, it, I, I almost was going to mention it in my in my discussion of trees, and I'm like, well, no, we're talking about the actual trees. But I think this is, this is a great example of uh, things are not always as they appear, and this this out of the ordinary Disney tree, the Disney Odendron Eximus, as as Disney calls it, and they have names for all of their trees, <laughs> both in Disney World. And in Disneyland, especially if you think back to Matt of, of when this was created, it's it's from an engineering perspective, um, I, I think is quite an an accomplishment. It makes me think about, you know, sort of using not to jump way, way ahead, you know, the oil rig as the basis for the tree of life, but how they were able to create something that is a very out of the ordinary Disney tree and make it look so organic by hand painting. Remember, there was some dude and some lady that had to sit there. I'm sure there was more than two painting 800,000 little leaves. Like, how was your day, honey? Great. I painted 40 more leaves today. I've only got <laughs> 750,000 more to go. But it does. It it very much creates the illusion almost that that tree is alive, where that the only thing that's alive in and around there is the Spanish moss that hangs from it. Um, it, it is. It's one of those low-tech illusions that 50 years later we still very easily and very willingly buy into there there's a, a one particular part of the park that well i'm sure we'll get to later that practical illusions went out over special effects in still decades later convincing us that it's all real 
but I don't want to jump ahead too far. <laughs> um. Okay, so as long as we're sort of segueing from one of ours to the other, I'm going to jump a little bit around because I think where we are now actually will lead me to um, – it, it's it's simple and it's ridiculous and it's almost a little bit of a cautionary tale. And you're nodding as if, if you intrigued. know where I'm going. Right? I'm so, intrigued. <laughs> so – we're we're in Adventureland. We are we're stepping off of the Swiss Family Treehouse. Obviously, stopping for a cheeseburger spring roll because I'm starving at this point. And we go to ride on the world famous Jungle Cruise. And my word of warning to you is to follow the instructions. Keep your hands, arms, feet, and legs inside the boat. Do not touch the water. Like, top 10 reasons not to touch the water in a Walt Disney World attraction other than safety of life and limb and because Disney tells you to do so is also because the water is not just plain water. Uh, If you look, that water in the Jungle Cruise specifically or even places like Rivers of America is very, very murky. And that, too, is by design. And that's because the water isn't dirty. It's not just that normally wonderful smelling Florida brackish, very sulfur like water that we get that comes out of our faucets, but that dark and muddy water is actually colored with a chemical dye. And that brown and greenish looking hue is not man is not is not uh, is not natural, but is very, very much man-made. And inside that water is not just dye but chlorine and chemicals and there's I'm sure there's stuff in there to help keep the mosquitoes away because if you notice it's Florida and there's not a lot of mosquitoes anywhere and there's a lot of natural ways they do it too but I have to believe in order to keep mosquitoes and noceums from the water um, there's got to be something in there that's going to keep those away so the the water there, the water in Pirates, the water in um, uh, the rivers of America is not just sort of coming out of the hose and, and suitable for drinking, but is very much dyed again to keep that illusion in tow too. spoiler alert, turn away if you don't want to be spoiled. The Jungle Cruise boats are not necessary. If you spin that wheel, you're not necessarily going to change the trajectory of the boat because they, because the Liberty Bell they do ride on a rail system, and by dyeing the water, um, when it is really bright and sunny outside in Florida, you don't get to see what it looks like underneath. This was on my list, too. That's where I would have gone next, <laughs> and I, I do appreciate the multiple reasons to have the river colored, to to your point, help to can create the illusion that this is a real if you went to the again the jungles of of africa or asia usually with some exceptions the river is not going to be crystal clear you can see to the bottom it will be murkier because of all of the uh, flora and fauna that you'll find in the jungle and the fact that that creates one the illusion that you are in a real jungle in in uh, africa or asia but also conceals a lot of those little illusions of, of how the attraction works, not just from the ride vehicles, but also as you pass by things like the uh, the hippopotamus uh, as you're going through that scene. Uh, sort of another spoiler alert. Those are not just 
not only not real hippopotamus, but also uh, sort of a, an endearing cast member term for them is hippopotamus um, because they they are not a full hippopotamus since most really just the heads pop out of water. So it's meant to serve to your point that that purpose of concealing a lot of the, the, the illusions um, of, of how the attractions work, uh, but also to, to create a, a realistic looking river. So I always appreciate that as well. And look, kids, tetanus is not a fun thing to get. No, so. no, no, no. Keep your hands out of the waters for sure. It's not not a smart decision. There's a reason the cast members, if they do have to go out for Pirates of the Caribbean, wear those wetsuits. And it's not just to keep them dry as they're as they're walking out to, to help to help guests. But uh, I'll go right across the way. There's a small illusion. I know we have Pirates of the Caribbean, but also the Enchanted Tiki Room. Yes, there's the illusion that, again, those those talking and singing birds are, are maybe not real hired birds that, that Disney brought into the attraction. But the outside of the building as well is another example of what you see not necessarily being what it is. And we talked a little bit about, for example, of course, the Swiss Family Robinson Treehouse. It looks like a real tree, um, but really was a really brilliantly designed and engineered uh, tree that's meant to look organic. And the straw thatched roof of the Enchanted Tiki Room is also, if you look at it from a distance, very convincing that that is a real straw or thatched roof. Of course, it's Florida and any hurricane that passes by would easily blow all that straw off the roof. And it's really just sort of there's everything is a spoiler alert here, but sheets of metal. And if you that are that are painted and, and made, to, made to look like real straw and uh, the, the again, I'll point out and I should recommend if and I know it's only limited if you have kids to uh, you have to be 16 year old or to do the Keys to the Kingdom tour. But if you have the ability to do it uh, the, a couple times that I've done it, the, the cast members usually take in the riding crop and sort of just quickly hit against the thatched roof so you can hear the. The metal, the, the metal sound as he hits against, he or she hits against it. Um, but it's another example of one artistry and the incredible amount of detail the Imagineers had to go to to make it look like a real thatched roof. They could have easily chosen another another design of of, of building, but to make it authentic and to also from the point of safety and practicality, not use real straw or, or, or you know, but to actually use um, some durable material that will withstand hurricane force winds and, and normal wear and tear is, uh, I think, a great example of an illusion that most people will never come close to or, or particularly pay attention to, but is blended into the background in a way that just makes sense as you're walking through Adventureland. And I love this, too, because... It's and as many of the things we're talking about, I think if somebody listened, if somebody saw the title of this and said, oh, secrets and illusions are going to show me all the real nerdy tech stuff that they do to create all these illusions. Look at how simple all of the things that we're talking about are. And that'll actually transition me to uh, across the way, like you said, to Pirates of the Caribbean. And it's almost I almost mentioned this for the longevity of the simplicity of an effect. And as as we guess today in, in 2021, as we ride through Pirates of the Caribbean, we're pretty sure that the burning town is not really on fire. 
But you want to talk about an effect that still holds up, right? We talk about movies that hold up. Of the effects that still hold up, this is one that is still simple but effective. And and while we all know that the fire isn't real, when you go back to Disneyland when it was first opening in the 50s, uh, you may have heard the story of the Anaheim fire chief walking in saying, this is a problem. And the problem is not that you're using real fire, which obviously would not necessarily work well in an enclosed building. All they have, they are able to safely do that now. Uh, oh, how I miss you. Great movie ride, cowboy scene. But they, he said that in order to avoid confusion for the firefighters, if, God forbid, there was an actual fire inside, he wanted to make sure that if there was a fire, if the fire alarm was tripped, to make sure that the fires, firemen would not have to tell the difference between a real fire and an artificial fire, those um, those fake flames are automatically shut down in the event in, of a fire. So those lights are, are 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 killed, and whatever sort of you know magical air is blown up to make it look like there's a real fire. And I think that's it's just interesting, Matt, that that technology has not been changed or updated over a year. And it's convincing enough that while we know it's not a real fire, it very much gives the illusion that there is. Yeah, it's a it's something that was uh, on my list for pirates. I know that Pirates of the Caribbean is a classic and there's a lot of illusions in there, which probably could be its own episode. But this is one that I love that story of the the Anaheim, uh, not police, fire chief and uh, talking about the the fact that it really does look like it could be convincing enough, especially, you know, now it's we take for take it a little bit for granted, although it, it is believable. I think that most people passing by are aware that it's not a real fire. Um, but the the fact that it was especially convincing enough back when the park opened and uh, and going back to Disneyland when Pirates of the Caribbean opened there and is something that they have not updated. I think that's a, a common theme that I noticed as I was putting my list together for Magic Kingdom. While there have been new attractions added, most of the illusions are either decades old or even if they're new can still be practical effects and illusions that sometimes are the most convincing when you have a new special effect at first it looks incredible but you give it 10 years with new technology that's developed and it starts to age whereas a lot of these practical effects are they're going to continue to stand the test of time because it taps into something that is not so much a a technological effect but a that, that, that will evolve over time but one that goes back to almost a, a magician's magic trick is is no matter how old you are or how old the trick is is still convincing yeah so what's where is what is next on your list should we go to frontier lands next i know we talked about pirates a little bit did you have anything else for pirates you wanted to mention or no, what? Yeah, no. Uh, well, I'll save it for a, a full. Right, there's a there's an in, there's a much more in depth pirate show that has to happen at some point. Yes, I, I think so. Um, I will. I'll jump over to Frontierland, and there's. I hope you enjoyed part one of our look at the magic and illusions and secrets of Magic Kingdom. Please join me next week as we continue our virtual visit around Magic Kingdom and go a little bit deeper, literally and figuratively, into just how some of the magic is made, not just 
in the individual attractions, but Magic Kingdom as a whole. In the meantime, please come to the WW Radio Clubhouse, that is our group over on Facebook, to discuss this week's episode, whether it be something that you learned, something that we missed, one of your favorite secrets or illusions in Magic Kingdom. You can find that conversation, many others, and start your own by visiting www.radio.com slash clubhouse. time for our Walt Disney World Trivia Question of the Week, where I invite you to test your knowledge of Walt Disney World's history or see how well you pay attention to the details in what you see, hear, remember, or even taste. If you think you know the answer, you can enter for a chance to win a Disney Prize package. This week's trivia contest is brought to you by Fun.com. And if you go to www.radio.com fun, you can save on toys, collectibles, clothing, home office items, and more. Something for everybody in all ages from Disney, Star Wars, Marvel, and Funko. You name it. They have unmatched customer service, quick and secure shipping as well. And they help you find the best gifts for anyone, including yourself. Visit www.radio.com fun and you can save 15% on your first order when you sign up. Of course, before we get to this week's question, we're going to go back, review last week's, and select our winner. On last week's show, we virtually visited Disney's Art of Animation Resort and shared some of the many reasons why you should stay, play, and dine there. And I asked you in the trivia contest to tell me what was the original name of the bridge that spanned Hourglass Lake and bridged the two phases of what would have been Pop Century's classic years and the legendary years, which is now, of course, Disney's Art of Animation Resort. I want to thank the hundreds of you who entered. Got this one correct? You know your pop century slash art of animation slash geography slash Googles because the answer is, of course, the Generation Gap Bridge. It was meant to bridge the generations between the classic years and the legendary years. Now it's a bridge between the two resorts and a great place to hop on the Skyliner. But I took all the correct entries, randomly selected one, And again, last week you were playing for a copy of my brand new Disney Interviews book, my 102 Ways to Save Money for an At Walt Disney World book, and all seven of my virtual audio walking tours of Magic Kingdom's history, details, secrets, and stories, all in full three-dimensional binaural audio as you and I virtually walk through the park together. All of those, by the way, are on sale for just $10. If you go to the shop at www.radio.com, it'll give you all the places and links to find any or all of those. And last week's winner, randomly selected, is Catherine Posado. So, Catherine, congratulations. I will get your prize package at you right away. But if you played last week and didn't win, that's okay, because here's your next chance to enter in this week's Walt Disney World Trivia Challenge. So I'm going to stay in Magic Kingdom once again and go back to one of, if not my all-time, favorite attractions. Because this week, I want you to simply tell me, what is the name of the bride featured in the Haunted Mansion's attic? This one's pretty simple. If you're a Haunted Mansion fan like myself, just tell me the name 
of the Bride featured in the Haunted Mansion attic. You have until Sunday, February 14th at 11.59 p.m. Eastern after all of your Valentine's Day festivities are over. And Valentine's Day festivities could mean you just sitting on the couch eating and watching WandaVision for the 16th time, which is probably what I'm going to be doing, but that's fine. You have until 11.59 p.m. Eastern to go to www.radio.com, click on this week's podcast, Use the form there. And you know what? Next week, you're going to play for the interviews book. You're going to play for the 102 Ways book. You're going to play for all seven of the audio tours. And I'm going to bring back a brand new WW Radio Cobalt Blue Mug. Not available in stores or anywhere else other than my garage. So good luck and have fun. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thank you so much for spending and sharing some of your time with me this week. I hope you had some fun, learned something new, and brought a little bit of happiness to your day and your week. Come and talk about this week's show or anything Disney, Marvel, and Star Wars related in the WW Radio Clubhouse. That is our group at Facebook on www.radio.com slash clubhouse. You can also connect with me individually on social. I am at Lou Mangello on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, a little bit of Pinterest, LinkedIn as well. You can also call the voicemail, be heard on the air with a question, a comment about this week's show, or just a hello from the parks at 407-900-9391. And if you have a question you'd like me to answer on an upcoming show, email me, lou at www.radio.com. Don't forget to join me every Wednesday night for our WW Radio live broadcast on Facebook, including my Disney Plus pick of the week, my top five live, where you are part of creating and discussing the list I'll also talk more about this week's show, current events in Walt Disney World. I'll take your questions and calls as well. Last week's pick of the week was WandaVision, so we'll be talking a little bit about WandaVision with spoilers on this week's show. Again, Wednesday, 7.30 p.m. Eastern at www.radiolive.com. Visit www.radio.com slash eBay for 10 new items for my personal collection that I am putting up on eBay again this week. Items begin and end Sunday, 9 p.m. Eastern. They start at just a dollar with no reserve. I have Disney, Marvel, Star Wars. This week I also have vintage Hot Wheels cars from the 70s, mint on card, Funko Pops, Tron toys, an actual section of Fantasia 35mm film with Sorcerer's Apprentice, a complete set of the old Burger King Disney Collector Series cups, more Funko Pops, trivia books, celebrations magazines. Again, you can find everything by visiting www.radio.com slash ebay this and every week. I want to thank some of the new and longtime members of the WW Radio Nation family. I am so grateful for your support and your friendship and your help. And I love being able to give back to you each month with scavenger hunts as well as our live video group calls and lots more. I want to thank some new and longtime members, including Efrain Vasquez Amaya, Amy Frazier, Andre Bourque, or Bork, uh, Quincy Julian, Jim Webb, and Just Jill. If you want to find out how you can not only help the show, but get exclusive rewards every month, including some new rewards that I've been working on, monthly care packages from Walt Disney World, WW Radio stickers, and Magic Band covers, and lots more, you can visit www.radio.com slash support. Don't forget, your contributions completely optional starts at as little as a dollar a month, and a portion of your contributions do go to our Dream Team project to benefit the Make-A-Wish Foundation of America. 
I also want to let you know how much I continue to be grateful for the opportunities, plural, and life really that you have given me. And I'd love to be able to help you in return, whether individually or in your business, your event, or to your school. And there's a lot of different ways I could do that, either by speaking in person or virtually coaching. My weekly mastermind group is now full. I am taking names for a wait list but I am still taking on -on one-on-one coaching clients for either an individual call or ongoing mentoring. To find out more, you can visit loumangelo.com. Thanks as always to Becky Mankin and the entire team over at mousefantravel.com. Whether you're planning your next trip to world or anywhere on this big blue world of ours, Becky and her entire team can give you not just the best possible prices, all available discounts, but really the incredible service and personal attention and care that is their hallmark. And remember, their services come at absolutely no cost to you. You can visit them at mousefantravel.com and tell them Lou sent you. And speaking of Lou sending you, please, if you like the show, all I ask is that you please help spread the word, tell a friend, post on your favorite Facebook group or social media account, and invite others to not just listen to the show, but be part of the community and conversation. And if you can, take just a couple of seconds to please rate and review the show over an Apple podcast. It is incredibly helpful. I'd like to thank some recent reviewers like Panda Lowski, who says it's great for your Disney fix. From top tens to interviews, I love WW Radio. Lou's kind, genuine, and incredibly knowledgeable. I live out in Ohio, and I don't get to the parks often, but Lou helps bring the magic to me every week. And as Lou says, whether it's your fan- planning your first vacation, where you've been hundreds of times, there's something for everybody and I highly recommend listening to previous episodes. There's so much content and great info. I can't get enough of the show. Thank you, Lou, for sharing your knowledge and kindness with us. And Alice P. 234 from the United Kingdom says, It is Disney magic. Lou, I absolutely love listening to the podcast. The UK is still in lockdown. My family and I are desperate to get back to the parks. Your podcast triggers so many amazing memories for me and has also given me so many ideas of things to try when we eventually get back to the parks. Thank you, Lou. Thank you, Alice. Thank you, Pandalowski. I sincerely appreciate your kind words as well as you listening and taking the time to review the show. Again, just go to search for WW Radio and Apple Podcasts or go to www.radio.com slash iTunes and it'll give you instructions and a link directly there. Finally, most importantly, thank you, thank you, thank you for taking the time to listen and come along on this journey with me this and every week. I hope that you not only enjoyed this show, but the show in general and the community that you have really helped to create and nurture. I hope the show put a smile on your face, some positivity in your heart, and that you choose the good and you be the good and you spread that out to others. There's incredible power in the ability to bring joy to other people, and I hope that you take that opportunity to do that. You've already made my day, my life better, and for that, I am incredibly grateful. If there's some way that I can help you, please let me know. But in the meantime, I hope to see you this Wednesday, 7.30 p.m. Eastern at www.radiolive.com, and I hope that this really is your best week ever. So until next time, wait. Didn't I say that I was going to tell you about an event coming as well? I did. And thank you for sticking with me till the very end. So as you may know, the Disney Princess Half Marathon Weekend was originally scheduled for the weekend of February 18th through the 20th. But unfortunately, it, was, it wasn't canceled. It was moved to a virtual event, um, which is completely understandable and yet very sad for so many that come here, not just for the running part of 
the event, um, but for so much more. Because look, while I understand that the virtual event is a wonderful option, it doesn't necessarily address what I feel is the most important part of the weekend, which is not about the running or the cheering or even the eating. I know, I can't believe I said that either, but it's about the people. It's about the friendships. It's about the handshakes and the hugs and the laughter and the memories and all the things that we miss so very much. But then again, it is all about the food, at least for me, isn't it? So I couldn't just sit by and let another weekend and another event and another opportunity pass us by without doing something about it. And I have been working and honestly very much struggling for months to try and find a time, a place, and a way for us to get together again in a safe and smart and responsible way. And I think I've finally been able to do it. And for all of you that are not able to don your tiara and your sparkly skirt and your running shoes that weekend, this is for you. So I'm putting my own spin on that regal weekend with a very special event in person in Walt Disney World and in one of my favorite places. So whether you are a runner, a walker, a supporter, a cheer, or even if the weekend for you has absolutely nothing to do with princesses, medals, or any sort of athletic participation on your part, this event is for you. Because in fact, WW Radio's 16th anniversary, yikes, is on February 11th. Uh, I actually started Disney World Trivia back in 2004, so the math doesn't necessarily work out, but the show started back in 2005, so go with me here. So there's a lot to celebrate this month, and I think reasons to get together. And I want to tell you that we're back, and I want to introduce and invite you to a celebratory event of the Lou Mangiello and WW Radio kind. Because when you can't run, you eat. And when you got to celebrate... You eat. So what are we going to do? We're obviously going to eat. So I'd like to invite you to an amazing, I mean a glazing, WDW Radio, perfectly princess, happy anniversary, coffee and donut breakfast event. The title's very much a work in progress, obviously, but let's move on. And I want you to please join me for a safe, socially responsible, very small gathering of members of the WW Radio family at one of my favorite new haunts, Everglazed Donuts in Disney Springs. So on Sunday, February 21st, before Disney Springs is even open to the public, a very small group, very small group of WW Radio family members are going to gather outside in the donut garden and patio area of Everglazed for coffee and donuts to celebrate you and the amazing community that you have created. And this is actually going to be the very first ever event at the new hotspot in Disney Springs, which is Everglaze. I've been working with them to do something just for us. So here are the details. The event is going to take place on Sunday, February 21st, which would have been Princess Marathon weekend from 8 a.m. to 9.30 a.m. Tickets are going to be $16 per person, coincidentally for 16 years, and includes one non-alcoholic coffee, tea, soda, drink, etc., and one of the oh-so-very-delicious classic or funky donuts with your ticket. Mmm, donuts. Sandwiches like the funky chicken and the breakfast sandwich, for example, will be available along with the entire menu for purchase by you after Everglazed opens at 9 a.m., I have been working very closely with Everglazed and Disney 
to create a very safe, responsible environment where we are going to obviously adhere to all guidelines and mandates yet still come together. Temperature checks will be administered, tables will be physically distanced, and guests will have to wear their face coverings other than when actively eating or drinking. And in order to effectively execute this, it is going to be a very, very small event with a very limited number of tickets. It is my responsibility, nobody else's, to make sure to keep everybody safe, comfortable, and happy, and obviously full. Of course, it's important that everybody do their part to make this event, which really is a trial to start getting back to -to face-to-face events a success. So please, wear your face covering, respect distancing guidelines, be smart, be safe, be responsible, and set an example of what we are doing here. Now, tickets are going to go on sale for members of the WW Radio Nation first today, which is Monday, February 8th at 5 p.m. Eastern. On Tuesday, February 9th at 5 p.m. Eastern, I will share a link in the clubhouse, which is our WW Radio group on Facebook, with a link to where you can purchase tickets again. And I want to reiterate, this is a very small event in order to effectively adhere to proper safety protocols and guidelines. You can also learn more by visiting the events page at www.radio.com slash events. And you can email me, lou at www.radio.com if you have any questions. I hope to see you again, not just next week here on the show, Wednesday for WW Radio Live, but on February 21st for our Breakfast in the Donut Garden event at Everglazed. But until then, I hope that this is truly your best week ever. So until next time, thank you. I love you. See ya. Hi, Lou. It's Chrissy from Anchorage, Alaska. I'm sitting here. It's negative six degrees. It's super cold, and I wish I was in Florida with you all. I loved your last episode with Timmy Foster, one of my favorite guests that you have on the show about the most romantic places in Walt Disney World. My sister and I have been listeners for the last two years, and I just think it's so funny. I'm going to have to give all of these suggestions to her future husband because she said if she doesn't get engaged in front of the castle, she doesn't want it. But thanks for all that you do. I love watching or listening to your show. Thanks. Hi, Lou. This is Kim from Michigan. Um, I just wanted to tell you about the most romantic experience um, that my husband and I had, and that was on our honeymoon in 1998. We went to Walt Disney World, and we weren't as huge of Disney fans as we are now, um, and maybe this is what sparked it, but um, one day we were back to our hotel room early, and we were like, hey, we should you know, go somewhere to dinner. And so um, I thought, well, I've never eaten the Cinderella's table. Let's make reservations. And they had a reservation that night. And um, so we went to Cinderella's roll of table. And when we um, were there, um, we got seated near the window. And I remember there was a family there and they were mad that they wanted to sit by the table. But the uh, waitress or the hostess said, no, we're going to put this couple by the window. Um, remember, I said we weren't huge Disney fans. So we're there having dinner, and all of a sudden, the lights go down, and this music starts playing, and fireworks happen. And we were seated right by that back window, and they were literally going off as we were eating dinner. And it was just amazing and so romantic. <laughs> 
we had no clue what was going to happen, which made it even better. Um, so that was a romantic experience that we had. And I don't know um, if we would have planned it, if it would have meant as much. So uh, thanks for the show. Uh, Tim has us, uh, Foster has us pining now to go to the Grand Floridian. Uh, we'll have to save up for that. Have a great week. Hey, Lou. It's Christine Morrison from Flowertown, Pennsylvania. It is Tuesday, February 2nd, and we've got lots of snow here, and it's still snowing. So I just listened to the latest podcast about Art of Animation, and we actually stayed there in 2012 in October. Um, We had had a a health scare with my daughter um, the year before, and once we got through that, um, I promised the kids that we would go to Disney. So um, Art of Animation opened, and we were actually moved over there from Port Orleans and also got the free dining plan. So we stayed in the Cars Family Suite, and it was sweet. Uh, we really enjoyed it, loved it. Uh, we actually spent a day at the Blue Pool um, the day that we were going to go to Mickey Nuts' Scary Halloween Party. We hung out at the pool, and we all got dressed up in our costumes, and we went to Ohana for dinner, and then we went to Mickey Not So Scary. Um, I totally agree with you about Art of Animation. The one thing that I will say that you guys didn't mention, behind the hotel along Echo Lake, is it Echo Lake? Echo Hourglass? Anyway, um, there are a bunch of fun fact signs posted all along the property in each each section that talk about little fun facts from the, those particular movies. Um, so if you're jogging those trails, it's kind of fun to read them as you're jogging along. I can't wait. I'm going to Pop Century in July, and I can't wait to see the Skyliner station over there. It should be pretty awesome. Um, what else? I felt like there was something else I wanted to tell you guys. I don't remember. Anyway, um, everybody have a wonderful day and make somebody smile. I'm going to go get my snowblower out and dig myself out so I can go take care of all my pets. Um, Talk to you guys soon and see you in the box on Wednesday night. Bye.